0: What are your really good agents doing up front? You know, I see these really good agents are able to wind up getting their buyer maybe $8,000 more.
1: Above and beyond just giving you the stuff you need to do your work. Are they talking to you and telling you some information about the client? Are they
0: preparing their client for like, what are they doing? I've seen buyers win a lot more with a very strategic minded buyer's agent.
1: Welcome to the Urban Connect podcast. I'm Jennifer Archambeau, the broker owner of Urban Provision Realtors. I'm thrilled to have you tuning in today. If you're here, chances are you're a prospective buyer, seller, homeowner, searching for clarity on the ever-evolving real estate landscape here in Texas, and you've come to the right place. In each episode, we'll delve into a myriad of topics equipping you with the knowledge and tools to effortlessly navigate the intricate realm of real estate from insider tips on how to prepare your home for sale to insights on the latest marketing trends and everything in between. We've got you covered. So sit back, relax, get ready to take your real estate knowledge to the next level with the Urban Connect podcast. Welcome to the second installment of the Anatomy of a Great Realtor, a captivating four-part episode series that delves deep into real-life experiences and explores the qualities that define an exceptional realtor. In today's episode, we have not one, but two special guests who will generously share their personal journeys and encounters when working with realtors. Throughout the series, we'll unravel unravel stories that set apart an outstanding realtor from an average one. Prepare to gain valuable insights, learn from these authentic encounters, and discover the attributes that truly make a realtor exceptional. Brace yourself for enlightening conversations that will revolutionize your perspective on what it truly means to collaborate with a top-notch realtor. Let's get started. Today's guest is Denise Hosack with Annie Mortgage and Margaret Liebus with Capital Title. She has 15 years of experience in the lending industry in Central Texas. Margaret Leibus embarked on her professional journey in the title industry in 1985. Margaret's vast knowledge encompasses a wide range of areas spanning from fundamental accounting processes to intricate matters like board of insurance audits. Her extensive experience equips her with a discerning eye for problem-solving complex title issues. Denise and Margaret, I'm honored to host you today and welcome to Urban Connect. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to have you both. I mean, as you've heard, this episode is about what makes a good realtor. So, you know, let's start with you, Denise. I feel like you work with a lot of realtors. You work with a lot of good ones, average ones, bad ones, and, you know, all across the board. So, let's start with your perception of what makes a good realtor? Let's start there. And then we'll kind of get into the weeds
0: on that. Okay. Um, I'd just like to talk about my, from what I see in my role as a lender. uh, One of the things that stands out to me uh, is how well an agent writes an offer. I've noticed that The best agents that I work with are extremely strategic in in writing an offer. And what I mean by that is, you know, I I get the contract when it's done. And and sometimes the agent will will talk to me when they're making the offer and kind of tell me what, what they're doing, which is exciting to me because I like to see that part of it. But either way, I'll get contracts sometimes where I just see an agent fill in the blank, right? Here's the offer price, you know, this is their down payment. And everything else in that contract, the buyer is paying for. Um, In other contracts, I'll notice the realtor will try to negotiate in such a way that the seller is not necessarily obviously seeing everything they're paying for. What I mean by that is instead of just offering a lower price, the agent will strategize you know a larger seller credit but then in addition to that they'll go throughout the contract they may have the seller paying the survey the seller paying the title policy uh you know maybe the seller's paying more hoa transfer fees and you know where you have a seller that doesn't want to um negotiate that much you know I see these really good agents are able to wind up getting their buyer maybe eight thousand dollars more just by the way they they place that because the the psychology is I guess that seller sees that price that they want, and they're not really. Focused, even though their agent, their, their their listing agent will explain to them, well, you know, you're paying this, this, and this. It's the psychology behind that offer that makes it more attractive to them, or and in, in, in the end, the buyer is still getting more. And to me, that the psychology that goes into the offers, writing the contracts, the presen- you know, the way they're presented, the way they're structured is really interesting. And I've seen buyers win a lot more with a very strategic-minded buyer's agent.
1: So what I'm hearing is I'm hearing that all that thought process that goes in on the front end sets the tone for acceptance and the seller to be in a different mood, and a mode. And it's a, almost like a different experience. Then the agents that are just like, oh, here's a blank. Let's fill it in. What client, what do you want to put in your contract?
0: Yeah. And by asking their client what they want, I mean, a lot of people, especially first time home buyers, they, they don't, they'll just say, okay, I want, want this. I want a lower price or I want this where, you know, the buyer's agent knows that there are certain things in that contract that they can check mark for the seller to pay which will save the buyer thousands and the buyer doesn't know to ask that
1: okay so margaret um let's talk from a title perspective when let's talk high level so your best agents can you define your best agents from and define them and and separate them apart from your mediocre the agents that I'm going to say, contribute to some of the problems in your process?
2: Yeah, the best agents that I work with are the ones that understand and know what the real estate contract says, fills in all of the blanks correctly and understands what that means. The timelines that are running in several different places of a real estate contract. um, I find that the best real estate agents understand all of that. What happens typically is an agent will email me and ask me questions about what the contract says, What, how many days, um, how do you count the days from the executed date to the five days given in the option period? Do you count the day? And so there's a lot of basic information in a contract that not qualified or not don't Agents who don't know what what their what those terms are saying and 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 how to do the inform how to do the counting and the basic information.
1: Our listeners, what you didn't see is Denise's eyes eyeballs probably got <laughs> bigger than golf balls. I mean, they were huge <laughs> when Margaret was talking because to have an agent pick up the phone and call the title representative to say. How do you count these days, or what do you put in this, or what does this mean that's not an that's not a great agent and i i mean that shouldn't be rocket science, but it's not so you know that's someone that you need to tread cautiously with right
2: exactly and if they're not if they don't even understand what the contract says, how are they representing you in the way you should be represented by your agent?
0: That's true. I I just wanted to add what's, what's scarier than that. I mean, the track, the Texas real estate commission contract has only so many pages and addendums, but you know, every uh, production builder for new construction homes has their own contract. And very often they're 40 pages long. And think about all the reading that needs to be done with that. You know, and really, I've had an agent, and this was many years ago, I was one of the builder's preferred lenders. And the agent said to me, hey, I know you see these contracts all the time. Could you just give me a summary of it so I don't have to read all this? And I just thought, oh my gosh, the, the, what you're supposed to be doing, you're supposed to be an advocate. You're supposed to, this is your fiduciary responsibility Is your client. You need to be reading everything to make sure you understand And your client understands that contract because all that verbiage in there is very different from the Texas contract for, you know, resale homes. All that verbiage is there to protect the builder. So that agent really needs to read that carefully with their buyer, make sure the buyer understands what they're agreeing to.
1: That's true. And you'll find... I'm going to cringe when I say this, but you'll find a buyer's agent says, Oh, you want to buy this new house? Great. The builder will draft the contract, right? But like you said, the agent that starts the process off by understanding how to navigate that contract, fill the blanks out. So it kind of gives the buyer an advantage and makes the seller happy, right? And then from the title perspective, knowing what the contract means and knowing the contingencies and knowing those deliveries, right? Because that's how we get in trouble as agents, right? And that's how, you know, title companies are there to dot the I's, cross the T's, to um, facilitate the process, to make sure things are delivered properly. But the agent doesn't start out to, to doesn't know the contract, doesn't know how to fill out the contract and, doesn't know what things mean and how to calculate <laughs> contingencies, then that they were starting off with a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I can't tell
2: you how many contracts I receive that show attachments and the attachments aren't even attached. So there's yeah. just basic information, basic, you know, good habits of Completing your whole contract, filling in your executed date, um, not putting the contact information for your clients in the notices section. That's a, a big problem there because all of your timelines have to be delivered by that notices section. If you leave it blank, there is no way you're supposed to notify people for, you know, if you have an objection. If you're counting day, de- you know, if you're counting days and something, you need to file a no- notice to the people, and you don't have where you're supposed to give the notice, you're going to end up
1: in a lawsuit. Right. It could be problematic, that's what I'm hearing. Yes, And then the contract. Okay, so Margaret, so we talked about high level, and high level for you is really understanding the contract, understanding, how to explain that, understanding notices, but let's go a layer deeper. So. What are you seeing, what are what should a good agent, and I, I say what should a good agent, be explaining their, to a client from a title perspective? Because I feel, feel like that's a lost art. A lot of agents don't really know anything about what the title company does, nor how to explain some of the processes or what they're paying for and what it covers. So, Talk to me about that a little bit.
2: Title insurance insures a buyer or a lender because there are two policies. One's issued to a lender if you're getting the loan to protect the loan investment, and one's issued to the new buyer, and it's called an owner's title insurance policy. And basically, both lender and buyer are investing a lot of money, maybe the biggest investment they make in their lives and they have no assurance if something goes wrong. And so title insurance gives them an insurance policy in which they can claim on if an heir of a deceased person comes knocking on their door and says, "Hey, I never signed off and I'm an owner of this property because my great-grandfather left it to the children. I was one of the children." It's um it's insurance for the unknown. So if you go out and buy a $500,000 property. And then something happens, it prevents you from having to hire an attorney and try to figure out what happened because you have that title policy to claim on with the title insurance underwriter.
1: So listeners, that's what your agent should be explaining to you when they ask you, do you want to pay the title policy? Do you, I mean, when they, when an agent says to you, how do you want to fill out the contract? Hey, what do you want to pay for? Let, let's check this box, uncheck the box. Even if they've checked the boxes for you and helped you draft the offer, they should be giving you a, a a version of what Margaret just said about the title insurance. Because then that agent is knows a little bit about that title side and why we're doing things that we're doing.
0: Jennifer, I... On this subject, I actually have a question, and maybe this should be directed to Margaret, but um, how often are agents reading the title policy? How common is that they they review the title policy when the title company delivers it to the buyer?
1: So, um, Margaret, um, Denise had a really important question, and the question was... um how many, if you had to give me a percentage of time this happens, like what What percentage of the time are the agents that you're working with, let's say buyer's agents, are reading the title policy and really digesting it and understanding what's happening, what's being, you know, delivered?
2: I I bet it's less than... Ten
1: percent of the real estate agents. Um, yeah, so ninety percent
2: <laughs> don't do anything. Ten percent understand what the title company, the title company commitment says.
1: Yeah, piggyback on what she just said. Like ten, maybe fifteen percent, even re- review the documents that the title company sends to the client and the agent. The agent gets a copy of every document the client gets in the process. There's tax certs, there's, you know, liens that need, you know, that's the agent's uh, opportunity to reach back out to the client saying, I see there's a lien on the property. Are we going to have a problem, you know, getting it removed? Is this going to delay closing? did you notice that your property straddles two counties? Were you prepared for that? You know, of course, a good agent wouldn't have already prepared their client for that. But, you know, oh, the taxes look way more than we thought they were. So that delivery of information from title is the agent should be looking at all of that and opening it. But I can guarantee you they're not.
2: So our Schedule B, we deliver copies of every recorded document that is showing up down at the county courthouse that affects your ownership. So Schedule B copies should be reviewed and read by every buyer because that tells you where your easements are. So if you're planning to build onto your house, you don't want to build it onto an easement. If you're planning um, to have chickens in the backyard, that those restrictions will tell you no livestock. Um, there's so much in the, the Schedule B copies that is vital. And I can't tell you how many times after we send a title commitment and restriction copies out that I get a follow-up email from the buyer with their buyers on there that says, well, you don't see anything wrong with these, do you? you know, the t- I can't tell you whether your buyer is going to want chickens in the backyard or if your buyer is going to want five dogs and the neighborhood's restricted to two dogs. Um that has to come from you and your buyer if that works for what their needs are. You
1: no, know, that's a good point. I mean, I feel like we need to as as an, as an agent broker myself who has been in the business long enough. I look at everything I get because I know there's going to be something I get within a transaction it always happens. That's going to derail the transaction later. It could be a tax lien. It could be an HOA issue. I mean, HOA documents are lengthy, right? But if, you know, someone wants to do a short term rental or something, they can't, that's their opportunity to get out. So, um, Denise, let's talk um, with you for a little bit about kind of underneath the HUD a little bit. I talked a little bit earlier about writing the contract, setting the stage. But talk to me about how that really, really good agent is involved in the process.
0: Again, this is from my perspective as a lender. I I really think we do best as a team. And when I say we, I mean the buyer's agent, the buyer and the lender, when that agent is utilizing the lender at the time of offer. And what I mean by that is you know, when when I do a pre-approval, I have a letter ready, then that agent or the buyer will reach out to me and say, hey, I wanna make an offer on this house, this price, this down payment, great. So I write the letter to match that exact offer. This way it tells the listing agent, right? The selling agent that not only has this lender done their due diligence on the buyer, but they've also reviewed the property and they know that this buyer truly does um, qualify to purchase this property with this loan. Um, But a lot of agents just stop at that. And I think the really good ones will use that lender to, at the time of offer, reach out to that listing agent and not only just send that letter, but reach out to listing agent proactively and talk about the strength of the financing. Um, you know, there are times where I've had someone making an offer and I'll say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go back and run, run this through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to see if we can get an appraisal waiver. And what that means is, you know, sometimes the, on conventional loans, um, we are able to close a mortgage without an appraisal. Well, the advantage to that, to the buyer then is that we can offer a quick close, or at least just convey that to listing agent. I can pick up the phone and say, hey, um, you know, I'm the lender for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Their realtor is Jennifer Arshambo. I just want to let you know they are very easily approved at this loan amount. You know, excellent credit, W-2 income, great work history. In addition to that, their loan is so financing is so strong and actually qual- it qualifies for an appraisal waiver. So since we don't need an appraisal on this property, if both parties agree, um, we can do a quick closing. And a lot of times the seller may not even be looking to close that quickly, but just by conveying that information, it gives them such a warm fuzzy that if there are several offers on that home, suddenly our offer seems a lot stronger because they feel really good that that buyer's financing is not going to fall through.
1: That's so true. I mean, I feel like if you... It's like setting the stage and and creating that happiness little bubble with the seller makes them want to accept the offer, makes them happier with negotiating through the contract. And um, those that just say, oh, here's your offer and good luck talking to the <laughs> mortgage lender because, you know, I don't know if you can get with them. Hopefully you can and leaving it in the hands of someone else. I think that taking that control is that superior um. That superior art that's lost. Yeah.
0: I've had that recently where I was actually kind of frustrated because I've I've never, it was an agent that I work with locally who, who our buyers decided to buy in another city. So she referred another agent. So I reached out, introduced myself, let her know, hey, they're fully approved. You know, when they're ready to make an offer, I'll supply the letter, please. At that time, forward me the contact information. I'd love to reach out to listing agents. So Then when she made the, you know, was ready to make an offer, I said, again, please let me know when the offer goes out. I'd like to send me the listing agent's contact information. And she didn't. And then later that night, I'm riding on a bike trail and I get a call from the listing agent trying to vet me to figure out if I'm a lender who knows what they're doing. And I said, Yeah, this. I'm so glad you reached out to me because you know they, their their financing is excellent. We have an appraisal waiver. We can close early. We don't. And she said, "Oh, I'm so glad I talked to you. I I didn't realize this. Oh, my seller is going to be so excited to hear this." And I thought, well, you know, gosh, I could have just reached out to her. Like this agent, even though I conveyed this information, she didn't even convey it to the listing agent. So I just think it's really important for for the agent to be working with the lender and use that lender to help win that offer
1: yeah it's like you're a partnership and you're a partnership with that that transaction trying to get molded together and kind of like what i just I kind of said in your bio that's something that i know you do um <clears throat> margaret um what are your really good agents doing up front like Yes, they've delivered the contract to you. They've delivered a survey if they're a listing agent, right? They've given you everything, right? But beyond giving you contract documents, what are your really good seasoned agents like? What are those? What are they doing? Be above and beyond just giving you the stuff you need to do your work. Are they talking to you and tell you some information about the client? Are they preparing their client for like what are they doing?
2: Yeah a good agent is going to keep me informed about things that I wouldn't know as as the party who's not who doesn't really know the buyer or the seller yet. So they're telling me my seller, you know, needs to sign at a different location, needs to be a mail out because that better prepares me to be able to tell the lender, if there's a lender, That we're going to need some extra time. So if we're trying to close at the end of the month, we're going to need to have everything a few days in advance to do a mail away. Um, It's always a catastrophe at the very end of a transaction, and I think everybody's going to be here because somebody hasn't told me that the seller is not local, and then we're scrambling at the last minute telling the lender, I try to be proactive and try to get this information out of the agents um, as much as I can, but a good agent relays that information to me without being prompted to. Um, a good agent knows who what the flow is of the process. you know I can't tell you how many times someone has asked me what about the appraisal? well, I don't do the appraisal. That would be a lender question. You know, I can always reply back to that agent and say, "Adding your lender because that would be a lender question. Uh, so just knowing, knowing that they need to feed information to the parties who won't know without them telling us and knowing who does what in the transaction, like we'll order the survey, but we won't order the appraisal. The lender orders the appraisal. So, just understanding uh what each party is responsible for doing
1: a lot of what we talked about so far is just elementary one on one real estate right It's not rocket science it's read a contract understand it understand what goes in the blanks, but understand and explain it understand who does what right um it's sad to see so much, so many variants within the real estate industry on what agents are helping their clients with, understand and not. And I'm sure that both of you on your sides, I'm not going to say headache, but you you stumble upon these challenges just as much as, you know, I see them on my side. But, you know, with with Margaret saying that you know, setting everything up for the process. I'm sure, Denise, on your side, those agents that let them know, you know, we're going to be under contract, then we're going to inspect. And then the lenders, basically, the lender, like I tell my clients, your lender, whatever they ask for, consider it a part-time job, right? They're going to be asking for this, preparing what's come next. And I'm sure that doesn't happen across the board. and the mortgage industry and then your clients are asking you why's, and wants to know. And like Margaret just said, you know, telling your client what, what's going to happen leading up to like when funds have to be sent and setting all those
0: expectations
1: up front. Right. And like Margaret, you said, let your your client know, uh, let your title rep know, even your mortgage lender know if you are going to be out of town, but out of the country, because that's even more complicated, right? So I, I, I just feel like in this scenario that we're talking about today, communication is so paramount, and it's not just the buyer or the seller need to communicate, it's all parties need to communicate with one another. So Denise, what are some things that get fumbled along the way? In the mortgage side that don't get fumbled if you're working with an educated, competent, you know, streamlined. So let's kind of go to a different approach. What what are things that could go sideways? That's a great question. Trying to think of some examples. If you want to think about it, I can ask Margaret the same thing and come back to you.
0: Yeah, that would be great.
1: So Margaret, same question for you. What are some of the things in the title industry that's not you're doing that maybe the agent, because their lack of preparation or their lack of not um, educating their client, completely derails the transaction and it's not because of you, anything you did the the it's all because of lack of understanding from the agent's perspective. And desire to do the right thing. Is there anything I that you can think of that the, can be problematic?
2: The, if you're representing a buyer and you haven't gotten your buyer qualified for a loan prior to going under contract, that could be a big one. And you wouldn't believe how many agents don't get their buyers qualified with the loan officer prior to going under contract. Um, that's a big one.
1: That's huge. I don't think I've ever (laughs) had that happen in my career.
2: (laughs) But it happens.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm sure. You have 38 years of experience of seeing what happens in the title business. So I'm sure you've seen a lot.
2: A number of times I've worked with an agent who represented sellers who didn't they didn't tell me until the very end that the sellers were no longer together and getting a divorce but hadn't filed yet um that can derail your closing because i've had several that ended up in arguments at the end that made it very shaky trying to get it back together
1: and it's very unfortunate when i've seen this happen when i've been on the other side of it and I've seen the title representative trying to hold the pieces together just to finish out the process, right? Because it's, it's there's another party involved, they're involved. Like nobody gets paid through this transaction until it's done. Buyer doesn't get the house, seller doesn't get paid. No one gets compensated through this, right? So, you know, everybody put their house on the market or the seller put the house on the market to sell and buyer offered to buy right and all that needs to happen so um but yes um a party that's not talking or you know divorced or or maybe you know so can you think of things that maybe denise that your um that would de- derail but not necessarily de- derail as an action of you or the client but from the realtors perspective
0: I'm, I'm thinking timelines. So usually, when I'm working with an agent, they will reach out to me and say, "Hey, I'm putting in X number of days for the financing contingency. Is that good?" I may say, "Well, I already have them underwritten and pre-approved, so you can shorten that as short as you want." Where you know we already have a, a live approval. Um, you know, let's say this is a new client who they didn't. Ask me about that. And we have someone who there's a lot of complexity. Um, You know, maybe we do need, we need verifications of employment. I've got, you know, variable income. We do need some time to get those back before they are truly pre-approved. You know, there needs to be, you know, maybe uh, I'd I'd ask for a week and a half for for that. I mean, some, you know, some could be longer or the other thing is, Hey, can we, uh, I was going to put in for a 30 day close. Is that good? you know, just communicating with that lender, because I've seen parts of, I've seen, you know, things about their buyer that they haven't seen. So for instance, I have a client who's selling a home in another country. They're going to use that cash for the, they have backup, but they intend to use that cash as the down payment on, on the home they're buying. Well, we know that we have to hire a translation service to translate those documents. We've got to convert foreign dollars into U S currency. You know, we have, there's a lot of, there's a lot of documentation that's going to be involved after that. Whereas if they were selling a home locally, well, we could, it could get that cash same day. That would be okay. But when you're dealing with something international, you know, I said, we need to add another week and that, Agent was great because that agent was proactive when we had the discussion. But there are, you know, sometimes agents, like I, you know, said before, they're not prop, they're not, they don't have that open line of communication with the lender. And not having that, I mean, you're talking about having a missed closing because there wasn't enough time given to what had to happen between the time the contract was signed and, you know, and closing day. So, Margaret and Denise was talking about the big
1: guy for me was um, having um, a, a buyer who maybe had a home in a foreign country that they needed to sell before closing on their new home here. And that, new, that home in a foreign country had to sell before they could qualify for their new mortgage loan, right? So, talking about timelines of, you know, Having monies exchanged from foreign currency and deposited here in the U.S. And, you know, maybe the lender needs to source those funds and, and you know, go through an underwriting process when that comes in again, right? So all those things, I'm sure, stumble you up, too, because you're waiting for those funds. to. And that's something that to kind of lead into is, you know, we talked about you know, before, during the transaction, but like at the end, everybody thinks I signed my papers. I can now, it's my house, right? There's, it's, it's not like that. And uh, I think a great agent is setting their client up for the understanding of what happens when those papers are signed. Talk to me about what happens afterwards.
2: So so most the time, transactions just don't fund. We're waiting for, for buyers money to hit our account. We're waiting for loan funds to hit our account. And I bet 90% of the time, we have to go through a process with the lender's closing department where we're uploading documents to a portal or sending specific things they want to review. Um, A lot of times, the verification of employment that a lender does right at the last minute, they're having trouble reaching that correct person at the employer's office who has to be the one who verifies employment. So there's a lot of things after you sign that have to happen and gel before we can actually fund the transaction. I'm um, talking about the foreign funds that you mentioned. If I catch wind that money's coming from somewhere in another country or they want me to wire their proceeds to another country, I always suggest that you have me wire it to a local account first, and then you can transfer it anywhere you want. If you're a buyer, I always suggest sending your funds to a local account in your name and then sending it to, to title because it goes through an exchange rate process when it leaves and comes back to our country. So you never really know what mo- how much money is going to end up at either end of a wire.
1: And then you could be short on your wire here yeah, and a, and a good agent would know that, right? Because they've either talked to you about what happens, what would be your you know protocol or what do you suggest versus an agent that would say, "Oh, just wire that into the title company because exactly
2: and And a good agent would have asked the questions of their client, whether it be a seller or a buyer. You know at the end of this, if you're a seller, the title company is going to ask you where you want your funds to go and have you thought about that instead of you know c- coming in at the last minute and going, "Well, I want my money to go to my Swiss bank account. Well, probably that's not gonna happen
1: <laughs> <laughs> well for for buyers and sellers that are listening, your title person is going to be asking you where you want money to go early in the process, right? Your agent should have told you. Your um, they're going to reach out to you. You know, earmark the and same with your lender. You earmark their uh, addresses. Respond to them quickly with information. They're going to be asking you things about your your mortgage and who you pay. How to get in touch with them so they can do payoffs. But they're also going to be asking you where do you want that money sent upfront so we know if there's an issue so it doesn't derail anything at the last minute. Can you think of anything else, denise, that or um that separates s- like superior to subpar agents through any um, aspect of the process
0: yeah there there's one that seems to be a you know recurring theme here and and that is uh, it's it's setting expectations and communication. Um, I, I, you know, I do get questions sometimes from buyers. A lot of questions they will come to me and they'll start asking and I'll say, well, what, this is my understanding, but this is really a question for your agent, for your buyer's agent. And what that tells me is that buyer's agent hasn't properly set expectations with their buyer if they don't know, if they're coming to me with these questions, you know, questions about the house and, and that, um. I'll say another one, Uh, when we were talking earlier about contracts, I did mention the the new construction contract, the builder contract, which is unique to each builder, very different from the one that we use from the state of Texas for all resale. Um, I will say how I'm seeing lately how incredibly important it is for buyers to be working with a local experienced agent and, and an agent who's experienced in construction because since, since COVID, we've had supply chain issues. Since the interest rates up, it's more expensive for builders to float their notes, their their development money, it's expensive. They're cutting corners. Um, I've seen a lot of issues arise with new construction. The way I see them is, you know, we have a close date. We're ready. We were told, yeah, we're going to close on this date. Great. Us as the lender, we're ready. But the builder not ready because all these things aren't done or there are issues. And, you know, closing gets delayed. Well, when that happens, that buyer needs a very strong advocate Um, I've seen them. I've seen buyers get railroaded by builders because they just, they don't understand the process. And lately what I'm seeing is issues that happen during construction that are not addressed. Um, A good buyer's agent will recommend a very good inspector. To inspect at each phase of construction to make sure that before those walls go up, there's nothing. There's no cut wires, just live wires hanging out, dangling in in a wall. You know, these are things that could be life threatening issues later on. Um, those and, are huge
1: safety issues, but yes, yeah.
0: So, uh, so you know, I, I've 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 seen several recently where there's mold, you know, uh when the builder, I mean the uh the buyer's agent is is really good and, and she's they're doing walkthroughs, you know, prior to closing. And you know, they keep going back and they and they saw mold and they addressed it with the builder. And you know, the agent said, look, and they said, oh, we, we've dealt with it. And they went back and they said, you painted over it. There's there's mold on the ceiling. There is mold you know, in two areas of the house where there was a water leak and the, and there the builder's remedy was to paint over it. So that buyer's agent said, mold spores don't die. They go dormant. So in order to remediate this, that drywall needs to be replaced. And she put her foot down and had she not, the buyer may have thought that was okay The buyer's agent was very experienced with new construction, understood this stuff. And, you know, she could have been dealing with significant mold issues a year from now, which could have cost tens of thousands of dollars to remediate at that point. So I will say, just, you know, vetting a buyer's agent, I would say maybe ask if you're buying a new construction home, ask that buyer's agent how many buyers they represented for new construction and 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 give give examples of how they um how they could have saved their buyer from having great issues later on but by things they did proactively during the transaction. I think that would be a, a good way to vet a buyer's agent. And and some what's scary is I see some of them just go to builders even without a buyer's agent. And you're <laughs> you've got no one on your side in, in that case no one's representing you and and that i think is the worst where i see the worst outcomes is just they just kind of get railroaded because everything is done in in the interest of the seller you know all they have is the lender on their side but i can't i can't negotiate i can't get involved in any of that stuff i don't you know that's far from my um job and expertise
1: yeah definitely it sounds like that the agents who have that additional layer of experience or being more open and asking and and advocating more for their client. Um, I agree. I I do not feel like there's a one-size-fits-all agent in our industry. I feel like, you know, there's land agents for a reason. There's uh, coastal agents for a reason. There's, you know, agents who work exclusively the Highland Lakes area and, you know, Central Texas around the lakes because they understand LCRA. There's Agents that exclusively work building for a reason, like you said, but um, I feel like a competent agent can say, will will say, and I brought this up on my, my buyer episode is a competent agent will step back and say, I want to work with you, but I don't think I'm the best agent for you. I feel like you're better suited for someone else because they have more knowledge in this space. And I brought this up again on the buyer episode. A truck has come out with a competency requirement. And they're forcing um, brokers to make sure that their buyers are geographically competent in their um, practice. And so I think we'll start seeing a lot of that maybe there be two agents on the transaction, ones mirroring the other agent to get some experience, but then the other the other agent they're referring you to actually has um, the experience that that the, the, the agent they're referred to is learning from. Wow, so, I think that's great.
0: Yeah, I, I, I didn't think know we'll that
1: yeah. I think we'll start seeing that a lot in the coming years, it's a new requirement. I mean, you know, Trek came out with the contracts class that, you know, sadly, I wish that contracts class was to have it, what needed to be taken in person and not just online because that contracts class has been out, requirement has been out three hours of contracts, which is sad. We should be taking like 10 hours of contracts, not just three, but, um, you know, we're still having some issues. So, is there anything else, Margaret or um, Denise, that you feel like you haven't said yet today regarding the differences between good and great?
2: You know, I I just think that a good agent is well rounded in all information. We don't expect you to understand what title does completely, and we don't understand you uh, uh, expect you to understand what a lender or loan officer does, but have a general knowledge, know the contract and the real estate side of it, and then know how to partner with people who are all the end game is to get the closing done. And so if you're partnering with professional people in those other areas and you know what you're doing as an agent, it's going to be a more pleasant experience for your clients And it's going to be a successful closing.
1: I completely agree. I feel like, like you just said, we don't, I don't have to know everything. I just need to partner myself with these other people that know everything to make myself look like I'm really smart. And um, I feel like a lot of agents swing and mess because they could do so much better and take care of their clients a whole lot better. So, this is one of the reasons why I want to do this episode because I want to share with the average consumer who thinks that it's just hiring the best agent possible, but they also need to be aligning with really good professionals like yourselves. Right. So. um, Jennifer,
0: I I thought of one more thing. Um, Sure. uh, An agent needs to be a very good listener to understand what their clients are looking for but then help educate their clients on on how to find that for instance i've noticed inconsistencies sometimes with what buyers say where oh we're having a baby and we need this and you know we need a bigger space and then they they were looking at at these condos that had a lot of stairs and they were not they had no yard and they weren't in a good school district i mean all these things didn't add up And I think, you know, some agents would just go, great. Oh, you like this? Yeah, let's go look at this without saying, okay, well, I heard you say that this is why you're searching for a new home. Um, Have you thought about these things, right? And then because a lot of times asking them the questions helps bring that buyer through the path of really narrowing down what they want. And I feel like sometimes an agent can maybe be a little lazy and just kind of listen And just, okay, you told me you want this and I'll go find you this without really helping that buyer to understand what they need.
1: When I was in the mortgage business, I could ask a client one question and get sometimes get five or six different answers. It's how you ask the question depends on the answer you get back. So... Now, in real estate, I ask the question, let them answer, and then from there, maybe ask another follow-up question to make sure I heard what they said, or maybe they said it right. Maybe they thought they said this, but they said something completely different, right? But like you said, listening is super important, but also follow it to make sure that the person who has been saying that whatever they just said understands that that information is being used to move, you know, them forward in the transaction.
0: And by the way, I want full disclosure. I totally cheated with that because I actually learned that from you. (laughs) So I just (laughs) stole it from you because I've seen you do that with people who were um, you know, I mean, it's not, I don't get involved in the houses. I mean, I don't really know what's going on with that. And, and you'll kind of explain to me, well, this person, yeah, they said they want this, but I'm going to show them this other house. I think it's more suited for them and see what they say. I have a feeling they're going to fall in love with this. And then, and then I get a call later in the day, they want to make an offer on this. I'm like, oh my gosh, you were right. How did you know that? And it's because you you <laughs> explain to me how you, yes, how you Bring them down that path to ask the right questions, show them the right things, and and get them. And this way, you know, you don't have someone just happy on closing day. They're they're happy next year, five years from now, ten years from now. You know, there's no regrets. They made the right decision, and they had someone help guide them to to help figure out what they wanted and needed.
1: Well, what I find when I when all that happens, when it happens beautifully, right? Like you just said. And every buyer comes to you, and I think this is the the best thing that an agent can do. Is the buyer comes to a realtor and they say, "I want X, Y, and Z," right? And you're like, "Nope, you're gonna want if you can see because you know I've done this long enough, right?" And you know, and the same thing happens with niece. They come to you and they say, "I want to do this," but they don't know everything you have, right? Margaret, you're a little bit different, right? What you're a facilitator in the transaction, right? You don't get to, you know, help help them. You can help them with some options, right? You can say, "Well, do you want a layer to tie the policy to protect you in a different way?" I wouldn't think about that, but it's almost like, right? What buyer you want down, and then I'm going to ask you questions along the way to see, do you really, really, really want that? And 95, probably 97% of the time, what they say when they come to you from the very first is not what they buy. They buy something polar opposite, but they said they demanded they needed that from the very beginning. And it was the agent not changing their mind, but really listening to their life and how to make them happy, like you said, long-term. It's not just now, it's for future. You're going to have kids are you going to retire here or how long are you going to live here? Like it's understanding and listening to the words coming out of their mouth, but then throwing it back at them to asking those why questions again. So, but yes, I, I, it's a big part of the process. And I
0: don't think enough agents do it as as often. I feel like to. the happiest, happiest clients are the ones who have that go through that process.
1: Mm-hmm. They do. And I feel like the clients that I've done that to, it's funny, I used to have them put what they wanted in an envelope, write it down, and then I would pass it back to them at the closing table. <laughs> and then they would not buy what they said they wanted to buy from the very first instance and they were laughing. So I did that you know, really early on. I haven't done that lately, but I, it was really funny because those two, you know, I don't know, a handful of clients that I did that with. The next time they remembered me throwing that kind of in their face kind of at the closing table. And the next time we went looking for houses, they're like, what do you think I should buy? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, well, tell me what you want, right? Instead of them like putting, you know, their feet in the sand and like, you know, saying, no, this is what I want. And I think it's different for a seller, right? Because... They're, they they've lived in a house and they're going to be a buyer again. They know what they want, but it's a little different than buying your first house and not really understand what you want. But but yeah, I I I I, I maybe I should go back to that, having everybody put what they want in a in an envelope and then giving it back to my closing. So, but anyway. So, before we um, close, I love to give a couple um, just tips to take away. And I feel like some of the things that I've said today were studying the climate for success from the very beginning and then keeping a pulse on all aspects of real estate separates amazing from the mediocre. And then we have to, as an agent, we have to um, educate beyond the contract, but we have to know the contract. And then if you know anything that could potentially derail the transaction, get it out early in the process, um, share it with the um, the partners you're working with to, to make sure that there's no hiccup along the road. So um, Denise and Margaret, I want to express my appreciation for generously sharing um, your personal um, experience through this process and their your valuable insights you know, as professionals in the industry, shedding the light on qualities that truly define a good realtor. Your, your contribution is a truly invaluable. So I know that this information will be incredibly enlightening and informative to those Texas-based listeners. And so thank you once again for, you know, contributing today and from the, everything you've kind of given to our community. Thank you. As these two remarkable women have um, undeniably made a strong impression on those listeners today, you might be wondering how to get in touch. To find information on how to connect with Denise and Margaret, be sure to visit the show notes provided within this episode. But before I conclude today, I'd like to give you a glimpse on what to anticipate on our next episode. Get ready for the continuation of Anatomy of a Great Realtor. This four-part episode series that delves into the real-life experiences, just as we've shared today. And then third installment, well, i prepared to be amazed as I engaged with conversations with an actual seller. So those valuable insights will offer that comprehensive and well-rounded perspective on what truly sets apart a great real estate agent from um, just an average one. So a heartfelt thank you goes out to all listeners. Whether you're tuning in from the comfort of your own home or on the go, I sincerely hope that today's episode of Urban Connect has been informative and valuable to you. If you've enjoyed the show, we kindly ask you to consider hitting the follow or subscribe button. Your support plays a vital role in helping us reach a broader audience and expanding the Urban Connect community. Should you have any questions or comments about today's episode, please do not hesitate to reach out to me directly at jennifer at Podcast.com. I read every email I received, and I am eager to always hear your thoughts, suggestions, and your feedback. This is Jennifer Arshambo, and I look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of Urban Connect.